Hello, and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 37. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. It's time to do another one. I am very proud of myself. I'm recording this episode really early in the week for me, for various reasons. Largely, one, I got my notes done way sooner than I usually do. And two, the house is quiet right now. And any of you out there who are also podcasters appreciate the need to take advantage of a quiet house on those rare times that it happens. So, here I am. I'm recording. And we got a good game this week. But first, the news. As you're hearing this, the new series, MacGyver, has already launched. I have seen so far the premiere episode this past Friday night. By the time you're hearing this, I think probably episode 2 will be out, which may be a better indicator of the kind of show we're going to get. Pilots are always hard for new shows, even reboots of old shows, because you have to set the stage for what the series is going to be. So you spend a lot of time introducing characters, or in this case reintroducing characters, and giving a people a sense of the universe that you're playing in for the new series. I'm guessing episode 2 and beyond will do more to actually focus on, on story rather than introductions. But here's my takeaway for episode 1 of the rebooted MacGyver. If you haven't seen it, this may be mildly spoilery, but I will try not to spoil any big things. But if you don't want to hear this part, just fast forward through to my scintillating review and story analysis of this week's game. So, okay. Uh, I was a big fan of the original MacGyver series. I am and have been for a while listening to the Phoenix Foundation podcast, which I think I've mentioned on the show before, which is an episode-by-episode review of the classic series. I have some of the DVDs. MacGyver was my jam to use, I think now an already outdated phrase, when I was a kid. So I was really excited to hear that it was coming back. For a long time, the rumor was it was going to be a movie, and that never seemed to quite happen. They did a limited-run comic book series a couple years ago, and that was okay. I didn't really feel like MacGyver translated well to comics, but that's just me. So then when I heard that they had committed to actually doing a new TV series, I thought, well, yeah, that's that's the home for MacGyver. That's where MacGyver should be. So here's what we got. The original series, MacGyver, was, you know, obviously a very smart, very creative guy who didn't carry a gun. He's an action hero, but he didn't carry a gun. He would get out of situations and save the day and complete his missions. He was secret agent, at least when the show started, by using his wits and basically the stuff around him. He would do, uh, you know, the joke was he could make a bomb out of a piece of chewing gum. You know, it was little stuff like picking locks with bobby pins and paper clips, all the way up to like, you know, he blew a lot of stuff up, uh, all the way up to like building hang gliders out of trash bags, all that kind of stuff to save the day, you know, save the world or save his friends or whatever he was trying to do. Guyver was a vegetarian, non-drinking, non-gun carrying kind of a loner character, but he had lots of friends. And, oddly, lots and lots of ex-girlfriends. So that was kind of the show. So, cut to 30 years later now, new MacGyver, still ostensibly anti-gun, still a secret agent, still very smart with science, kind of uses... The idea is he's supposed to use kind of what's around him to get out of a jam, but new MacGyver, this first episode, and again, it's hard to tell much from a first episode, they did some of the little MacGyverisms, they didn't really do any huge ones. They kind of did, I guess, towards the end, a bigger one, uh, a, a big invention to get out of a jam. And I assume they'll do, I hope they'll do more of that later. But 
all of them were kind of rushed in this first episode. They had, they had a lot of ground to cover, so I, I forgive them for that. But it would be nice if if they, going forward, would concentrate a little bit more. Because they did in the old series. They would spend a lot of time, relatively, in an episode with MacGyver explaining what he was doing. Yeah, oh, yeah, you gotta mix this and that, and... Oh, here's a helium tank over here. That might be helpful, or... Oh, a lawnmower. Yeah, I could use that, or, or whatever. Uh, and they do a little bit of that, that here, and I hope they do more. This MacGyver, though, blows up a lot of people. There were a lot of explosions in the old MacGyver, but very rarely did anybody actually get killed. The body count's pretty high in new MacGyver. Doesn't shoot anybody, but a lot of people get blown up, and a lot of people do get shot by other people. New MacGyver, there's a scene where Jack Dalton, who, from the old show, was sort of this um, con artist, well-meaning, but kind of selfish, you know, uh, trickster, old friend of Max, who would drop into his life every now and then. And that was Jack Dalton in the old series. In the new series, he's still a wisecracking guy, but he's not sort of the comedic subplot. He's uh, also a secret agent. He's Max's partner. He's a little bit older. In the old series, the two guys were kind of contemporaneous. In the new series, Jack Dalton's a good 15 to 20 years older than MacGyver. MacGyver's also a little younger than Richard Dean Anderson was when he started the original series, too. I knew MacGyver's or new Jack Dalton's kind of a badass. He's a special forces type guy. And, and always has MacGyver's back. So there's little changes like that. Nicky Carpenter from the old series is bad. Max Boss and, and close friend from the old show, Pete Thornton, is still a character. But now it's Patricia Thornton. And, and it, they don't seem to be buddies necessarily. She seems to be more of just a boss type person. And Wilt Bozer, who was uh, a recurring character later in the original series, is there from the get-go this time. And he sort of plays the childhood buddy of MacGyver. And possibly a roommate. It's not real clear if he's a roommate or he's a neighbor or what. But he's clearly going to be a part of the show. And he has no idea that MacGyver's the secret agent. So it, that's sort of the, the minutia of who the characters are. At least what we get in the first episode. MacGyver, the series, feels like it's trying to be a lot faster paced. A lot slicker series than the original MacGyver was going for. It felt a little bit more like trying to be Mission Impossible than MacGyver, necessarily. But again, I think in that first episode they're just trying to show us this is a new era for MacGyver. MacGyver's not a loner anymore. He's on a team of secret agents, because that's the world. You know, it's 30 years later. The approach to TV, I guess, is different. And it's not necessarily going to be a bad thing. So I am hopeful. I am happy to have MacGyver back on my screens with new stuff. I love the old stuff, but of course, new stuff is always nice. So, I may from time to time mention that again. It seems to fit in with the retro theme of this podcast, and they're just fun stories, kind of like what we try to do here with the Atari games. So, with that in mind, I'll wrap up the news report by saying that I have no other news. I am still not a screenwriter for the Atari uh, movies that are supposed to be coming out. I imagine that I would have tweeted about this already if, in the extremely unlikely event, Mr. Atari whoever runs the company now, called me up and said, I actually know who runs the company, but I don't remember his name right now, called me up and said, hey, come write our movies. I probably would have said something before now. I might have even done a special episode for that. So look for that in your podcast feed. But for right now, what we have is an awesome, awesome game. A legend, if you will, to talk about. This week's game is Donkey Kong Coleco Game from 1981. By the way, I had, in my head, I have to say Donkey Kong that way because of the truly egregiously awful cartoon Donkey Kong show that was on Saturday mornings when I was a kid. Kids, ask your parents about Saturday morning cartoon because that's back when watching 
cartoons was like a programmed event. It was a thing you looked forward to when you were sitting in school all week, was getting up on Saturday mornings and staying in your pajamas to sit in front of the TV all morning while your parents drank coffee, and you probably ate Cocoa Puffs or Count Chocula or Captain Crunch or uh, Crunch Berries, although why the hell you'd want to eat Crunch Berries, I don't know, because they're gross. But anyway, the point is, Donkey Kong was one of those awful cartoon shows, and in the, I think in the opening credits for the show, and maybe throughout each episode, whenever Donkey Kong referred to himself, which he did, I think, in my, if I'm remembering right, more often than Bob Dole, there's a reference for you, referred to himself in the third person, and he would say his name as Donkey Kong, or I am making all of this up due to some sort of neurological problem. I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong. So, this week, the game we're talking about is Donkey Kong. Some fun facts about Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong first appeared in 1981, as we said. That was also Mario's first appearance, of course. Uh, the game was created by Shigeru Miyamoto. This is obviously a Japanese game. Designed by Shigeru Miyamoto, Yochi Kitabi, Shigefumi Hino. I'm probably butchering all of those names. I apologize to those people and their families. Mario was portrayed by Lou Albano in the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, which was not the Saturday morning cartoon show. It was a live-action Mario Brothers show, and I'm not sure when it aired in relation to the Donkey Kong cartoon show. I do know, though, that in the last year, my son, who would have been six at the time, was poking around Netflix one morning and discovered the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, and he sat there sort of mini-binging like two or three episodes, and I swear the entire time he watched it, because I watched it with him, he had a total WTF look on his face. What the hell is this? Um, I'm cleaning that up a little bit for the internet, and because, of course, my kid doesn't talk like that. But that was totally the look he had on his face. But he kept watching, because it was one of those weirdly compelling train wrecks that you can't help but watch. So there's that in pop culture. Mario, of course, was also played famously by legendary actor Bob Hoskins in the movie Super Mario Brothers. Who knows, maybe someday if I need to do a bonus episode, I'll do a Super Mario Brothers commentary. That would be awesome. Oh, we should get some podcasters together. Maybe like Ferg and, and uh, some of the other guys. Ferg, if you're listening. And, uh, I, I don't know, Sean from Pie Factory or something. And we could do like a, a commentary, sort of a, a joint bonus episode for our podcast where we do like a commentary of Super Mario Brothers or um, what's that Adam Sandler thing that just came out last year? Pixels or something? Yeah, that'd be fun. Anyway, mental note. So, apparently Miyamoto, when he was developing the character Mario, originally named him Mr. Video and with the idea that this character was going to be in every game that Miyamoto developed. But then there's this weird thing, according to Wikipedia, where there was a fight between Nintendo and one of the landlord for one of their warehouses in America who was named Mario and it was this big fight over rent and then they ended up deciding to name the character in the game Mario which is odd. Miyamoto later noted that if he had really named Mario Mr. Video the character probably would have disappeared pretty quick. I guess he realized that was kind of a dumb idea. Um, they've never really said at least not initially what Mario's last name was. In 1989 he Nintendo apparently said in an interview that even though in the Mario Brothers series title it refers to the character as Mario Mario, that yeah, that's not his last name. So I guess we don't really know what his last name is. 
In Donkey Kong, which of course we're talking about this week, Mario is not actually called Mario. He's referred to as Jumpman. He debuted in the arcade version of Donkey Kong on July 9th, 1981. They refer to him as a carpenter with a pet ape. The carpenter mistreats the ape, so Donkey Kong escapes and kidnaps Jumpman's girlfriend, originally known as The Lady, but later named Pauline. I don't know this, but I'm going to guess that's a reference to The Perils of Pauline, which I think was like a 1920s series of silent films, with Pauline getting in all sorts of peril, hence the title. So that was sort of the premise for Donkey Kong. The player takes on the role of Jumpman and rescues the girl. Jumpman was later renamed Mario in the 1982 arcade game Donkey Kong Jr., the only game in which he's ever been portrayed as an antagonist. Donkey Kong Jr., in my opinion, is a weird fever dream of a Donkey Kong game, but we'll get to that in another episode. In the 1983 arcade game Mario Brothers, Mario and his younger brother Luigi, uh, side note, in the same Wikipedia article later, they don't call him his younger brother, they call him his twin brother. So, gee, you just can't trust Wikipedia for anything. Shocker. Mario and Luigi are portrayed as Italian-American plumbers who have to defeat creatures that have been coming from the sewers below New York City. So, that's where Mario comes from and Luigi. Of course, we're not talking about Mario Brothers, we're talking about Donkey Kong this week. Mario, in Mario Brothers, as I said, is a plumber. In Donkey Kong, he's a carpenter, construction worker, I guess. He's had many occupations. He was a medical doctor, he's been an archaeologist, he's been president of a profitable toy, profitable toy making company. The hell? That's in some game called Mario vs. Donkey Kong 2, March of the Minis. Uh, he's been an athlete in many sports titles. He was a kart racer, of course, in the legendary Mario Kart series. Usually he saves Princess Peach and the Mushroom Kingdom and purges antagonists such as Bowser from various areas. During the development of Donkey Kong, Mario was known as Jumpman, as I said, jumping both to access places and as an offensive move is a common gameplay element in Mario games, especially the Super Mario series. Basically, the guy jumps around a lot. The Mario franchise is the best-selling video game franchise of all time. Over 210 million units of the overall Mario series of games have been sold. Mario has appeared in over 200 video games since its creation, with, of course, Donkey Kong being the first. So I think we should talk about that game right now. And, as always, we're going to start with reading from the manual, which won't take long because it's a slim volume. The only setup we're given is... Oh, interesting. Note, on the cover of the Donkey Kong manual, it advises you, one, adjust to your skill level, and two, for color or black and white TV, which I know was a relevant uh, note when these games were coming out in the 70s and 80s, early 80s at least, that you can play it on color or black and white TV. It just kind of amuses me now. So many years in the far future... The only setup we're given for the game description is Donkey Kong the Ape has kidnapped Mario's girlfriend! Exclamation point. In this action-packed rescue adventure, you move Mario through incredible dangers to save her. Your skill and speed determine your score. There really aren't incredible dangers. There's really only one danger that's falling barrels, but we'll get the, to that later. In the instructions, you have to set up the game. We know how to do that. Here's how to play. Step 1. Get started! To start a game immediately after turning on your video computer system, just press the red button on your controller play another game, press game reset. Step 2, making it to the top. When the first of your three Marios appears on the ramps, try to get him to the top to save his girlfriend. If Mario is hit by a barrel, he is eliminated. Climb the unbroken ladders to reach the next ramp. Mario cannot climb broken ladders. I will note here, in case I don't think of it later, among the ladders is at the very top, there's one ladder which gets you right to the girlfriend, and there's another, Pauline I guess, and there's another ladder that gets you right to Donkey Kong. Why would you ever take that letter? Anyway, 
Step 3. Hammer away! If Mario jumps up and grabs the hammer, he can face the barrels and hit them for extra points. But if the hammer misses and the barrel hits Mario, he's eliminated. And remember, he can't climb ladders with the hammer, and the hammer disappears in a few seconds. That few seconds, by the way, seems like forever. To the point where it's not even worth using the hammer. Because it just slows you down, man. Step 4. How time flies. The score bonus indicator shows your bonus counting down. Watch out, if it reaches zero, Mario is eliminated. Step five, success or failure? Really enjoying these step titles, by the way. If you make it to the top of the ramps, the remaining bonus is added to your score and you move on to the next to the rivet screen. The rivet screen, okay. But if you fail, Mario is eliminated. Man, they like to say that. Step six, a riveting mission. Boy, I'll bet in the Coleco production offices they were really proud of themselves when they came up with that. A riveting mission. Mario must remove all the rivets to save his girlfriend. To remove a rivet, Mario runs or jumps over it and it disappears. Playing with fire. Jump over fireballs for points or avoid them. The fireballs, by the way, look to me more like ducks or some other aquatic animal thing. Bird. Seagull thing. Anyway, jump over fireballs for points or avoid them. Remember the fireballs are following Mario and they're tricky. Does he ever stop to wonder how fire is able to follow him? Fireballs always stay on the same ramps but sometimes jump across the gaps. Step 8. Hurrah! When you've removed all the rivets the game continues to alternate between the two screens but the action gets harder as you go. Keep playing until you run out of Mario's. Scoring. When you control Mario the score bonus indicator shows your bonus counting down. Between screens and a game end your score is displayed. Starting bonus value. Each screen. 5,000 points. Jumping a barrel or fireball, 100 points. Eliminating a rivet, 100 points. Smashing a barrel or fireball, 800 points. The player receives three Marios per game. The fun of discovery. This instruction booklet will provide the basic information you need to get started playing Donkey Kong, but it is only the beginning. You'll find that this cartridge is full of special features to make Donkey Kong exciting every time you play. Experiment with different techniques and enjoy the game. I don't know if it's packed with special features, but... I guess one technique I did see, and I'm sure I'm not making any news here, that the fireball level, if you stand on the very like left or right edge of the screen and let the fireball come to you over the rivet and then jump over it and pull out the rivet, then you can trap the fireball in that little corner and you can get across the screen to the other side without any trouble. So as a kid, I was pretty proud of myself when I figured that out. So I thought I would share it, but like I said, I'm probably not making any news. You guys probably already know that. That's pretty much the end of the manual. So I think, after the break, we're going to have ourselves a barrel of fun. More fun, in fact, than a barrel full of one large monkey. Wow, that metaphor sort of fell down, didn't it? Oh well, here's a break. Me, ten-year-old me in my pajamas, eating cocoa puffs, and watching the truly awful Saturday morning Donkey Kong cartoon show. Wait a minute, I'm not watching the show. I'm in the show. No. So here's the thing about Donkey Kong. on my own head. That's better. The 
color scheme is weird. Um, the sound effects are a little weird. But, also I'm playing on the expert level, which isn't all that hard, but it's extra hard when you're only, when you're talking while you're playing. The color scheme is weird, the sound effects are weird, but the game pretty much looks like the arcade version. With those caveats. Alright, I'm almost to the top. So I like that about it, and I was really excited to get this game when I was a kid. I think it was one of the first ones I got. I'm pretty sure this one and Frogger and Pac-Man, because I think Pac-Man actually came with the uh, console when I got it. But then these two were, you know, Santa, quote-unquote, brought these two uh, with the uh, with the console. Now I'm on level two, which just seems like a weird, pointless level. Uh, walking fire, basically. That doesn't look so much like fire as it does um, those tinfoil swans they make uh, when they give you a doggy bag at a fancy restaurant. Only they're orange, so the comparison doesn't really work. Scratch that. That's dumb. Oh, burn my butt. And that was the last guy. Wow, I'm done with Donkey Kong already. I have failed you, Mario. I can never go to Italy now. Oh well, back to you in the studio. I've mentioned on this show before that Pac-Man, Frogger, and Donkey Kong were a big part of my early arcade experience. Mostly at first, while waiting for pizza at Happy Joe's. Donkey Kong looked and sounded great in the arcade, and I couldn't wait to get the home version. I think I mentioned in the field report that Frogger and Donkey Kong were probably the first two Atari cartridges along with Pac-Man, which came with my console, I think, that I got. And I was super pumped. I think that year I actually got to open them on Christmas Eve, because I pretty much knew that I was getting them. And uh, it was often the case where I got to open a present on Christmas Eve, and I think that's the one I chose, because I was no dummy. And so then I plugged in Donkey Kong, and it was... Okay! It doesn't look and sound as as cool quite as the arcade version, but what game ever does. And I was extremely happy with it. And I still am. It's still a, a nostalgic... It's probably not the hardest Atari game, but it's still a nice nostalgia piece that I am happy to own. But the gameplay is fine. But on this show, of course, we want to know, what's the story here? Um, I guess when we talked about the origins of Donkey Kong, we got a little bit of insight into what they had in mind when they came up with this game. Pauline, the girlfriend, and the ape who's grumpy with his owner, Mario, which is a weird concept, but but there you go, he had a pet ape. So, what do we think is the story that's going on here? To the five elements! As always, with the story, we want to know what the five parts are and whether we can make a story using all five parts, because if you only have a few parts, you ain't got a story. The five elements of a story are, of course, the, the introduction, or exposition, which is the setup for the story, the introduction of the characters, kind of like, if you will, if you consider the MacGyver series a long-form story where each episode is a chapter, then the pilot episode, and I guess it goes for any TV series, is kind of like the introduction, the exposition, setting up who the characters are. The rising action, where things are starting to happen, um, events are starting to unfold, you're building towards something, which is the climax, sort of the peak of the story. The protagonist and antagonist go head-to-head, fates are decided, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria ensues. The falling action is sort of the, the fallout, kind of literally, of the climax, picking up the pieces from that ultimate conflict and seeing how you're going to end up. And where you end up is the resolution or denouement, the end of the story. Things get wrapped up. 
and everybody goes home. So I'm thinking about Donkey Kong, early 80s game. The early 80s, the 80s in general, was a very specific time in history, which is really a dumb statement. Of course it was. But it was a very unique time in history. For those of you listening who remember the 80s, I'll speak louder because you're probably old and hard of hearing by now. And for those of you who don't, you've probably heard the Gen Xers and older people drone on endlessly about how cool or weird or both the 80s was. So I had that in mind when I was thinking about this story of what's probably going on here with Donkey Kong, and here's what I'm thinking. Introduction. Isn't it enough to be a short man in a big man's world? Curse you, Randy Newman, for the short people song. Why couldn't Star Wars be the only thing people remember from 1977? Now I'm late for work. Short legs, remember? It's hard to run fast. Because Jazzercise ran long. Curse you too, Olivia Newton-John. I get enough physical on the job. I don't need you. Or I will if the corporate raider that bought out my company doesn't fire me. What exactly is a Gordon Gecko anyway? Are they from Australia? Hey, what's that thing on on top of that weirdly intricate multi-level scaffolding on my job site. Is that a is that a Rubik's cube? Hey, now why is it falling off of the top of that intricate scaffolding? And why is it headed right for my head? Ow! Clunk! Alright, that's the setup for our game. Now we have some rising action rolling on in here. When I come to, there's total chaos around. No one is putting in the foundation for this new KB toy store. Where are people going to buy their Atari games? Also, there's a drill on top of the scaffolding chucking down barrels at me. That's a little weird, too. We had a humpback whale up there once, but never a drill. Hey, where's my girlfriend? Pauline! Pauline! Wait, I can hear her screaming. Mario! Mario! And it's not like when she yells at me because I sunk our savings account into building those go-karts. Why do you need those, she kept saying. Trust me, I said. Mario's carts are going to pay off someday. Anyway... This gorilla has my girlfriend. So I quickly start climbing the ladders up this weirdly intricate scaffolding. Corporate ladders they are. Greed is good, I guess. This is the 80s after all. I'm not going to climb the broken ladders though. Those are the corporations the Japanese took over. Didn't we learn anything from that Michael Keaton gung-ho movie? Anyway, so I am literally rising up this plot, headed literally towards the peak, or the climax of the story. And here it is. Climbing, climbing, ladder after ladder, leaping barrels that rain down on me like Soviet missiles could any day now. Some of the barrels I smash with my hammer like Reagan did to Gorbachev. I think it went like that. Anyway, I finally get to the top level, toe-to-toe with the gorilla. Mano a gorilla-o. The triumphant music plays, and, I don't know, he just gives up, I guess? It's not real clear. Because, next thing I know, I'm thrust into the falling action where I'm back at the ladder of yet another multi-level scaffolding, and there's Donkey Kong up at the top again. Wait, how did I know his name? Oh yeah, wait, Wikipedia said he was my pet. So I guess he is, because Wikipedia knows everything, including what happened in the past, and now I know what happens in the future, because Wikipedia doesn't exist yet, and time travel is weird. Anyway, where was I? So now, in addition to the gorilla having Pauline again, the scaffolding's on fire! This is definitely not good job site safety. We're totally going to get written up by OSHA now. So, I don't know who started the fire. I'm guessing it's Donkey Kong. He's probably trying to burn the evidence. Like old Ollie North should have done with that Iran-Contra evidence. Know what I mean? 
There you go. Good Iran Tantra reference for all you podcast listeners. I know you appreciate that. So, I get through this level. It's not really a climax anymore because I've already gone toe-to-toe with, uh, with my pet gorilla and saved Pauline once, so I can do it again on this level. So now we're sliding into the resolution denouement, coasting, perhaps leaping off the scaffolding, into the finale. This fire level seems both new and repetitive, somehow easier than the previous level, which isn't how second levels are supposed to work, but no matter. Maybe it's because fire the fire only goes horizontally, but in the previous level there was the chance where a barrel could fall on your head vertically or it could hit you horizontally. Maybe that makes it harder. Barrels moved more up and down or left and right, like the bits on a Rubik's Cube. Kind of like that Rubik's Cube that knocked me out, by the way, which reminds me to wake up. So I do. And there I am, a little boy back in his jammies, eating Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. Man, I'm hungry. And that's our show. But before we go, I'd like to give my thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Take a Chance, Reformat, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and many, many other places. Don't be a donkey. Leave a review. I appreciate it, by the way. Email me at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Facebook page for Atari Bytes. Follow Atari Bytes on Twitter at AtariBytes. A-T-A-R-I-B-Y-T-E-S. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. You can also help support the show financially by leaving a little tip on the Atari Bytes Patreon page and by shopping for cool Atari Bytes merch on Zazzle.com. And while you're waiting for the next Atari Bytes episode, you can also surround yourself with the dulcet tones of me talking about Charlie Brown and Snoopy on my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. Next week on Atari Bytes. Donkey Kong Jr. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.